a situation in your life where you feel like what I need, what I want is just right there, but it's just out of my reach and, and soon, soon I'll have it. Soon I'll have enough finances. Soon I'll have that other person that makes me just so happy and they'll fix all of my problems once they come into my life because spouses always fix all of our problems, don't they? Yep. When I have kids, when I have kids, my kids are going to be perfect and life's going to be perfect. We get caught into these endless pursuits where we think something else is going to fix our heart. And we chase things that disappoint, disappoint, because we try to fill a space that was meant for God with some earthly thing. And, and today we're going to be talking about an area that, that we often chase uh, that that some of us deal with a little bit more than others, so refrain from any elbowing today. Um, let God do his work. He doesn't need your elbow in their ribcage for them to hear what he's trying to say. But today we're talking about perfectionism. And there's a person that kind of is the picture of this in a lot of people's world, someone that you grew up with. Maybe you're familiar with the, the, the person called Barbie. Do we, do we have that picture of Barbie up here? Many girls grow up, and this is the picture they play with. This is the concept that they dream of, of how they're supposed to look. And from a young age, they think, this is the shape I'm supposed to be. This is the way my hair is supposed to be. And they get this concept that I have to work towards this perfection. But don't think that men didn't deal with that either. We got to grow up with He-Man instead. And as you can see, I'm not quite there in that pursuit. But each one of, of the, the sexes, each one of us, we deal with this concept of this is how I should look, this is how I should be. But as we grow, it kind of sometimes changes from this is what my body should look like to these are the finances that I should have. This is what a perfectly run household is going to look like. And so we try to run the perfect household. We try to create the perfect children because when we were in our early 20s, we saw other people's kids in the store and we said to ourselves, our kids will never act like that. Right? And then we have our own kids, and we learn it's a little bit different. We learn managing the households a little bit different, but we have this, this drive within us that we want them to be perfect. We want, when you step into our house, it to feel perfect. But at least in my experience, trying to be the perfect parent is a little bit like this picture in, in talking to our kids. Uh, moms, maybe you've been here. You know, am I a good mother, Susan? My name's Amy. The chase for perfection, things never kind of go right, and especially if you have multiple kids, like, you know, I'm lucky if I'm not calling my kid the dog's name, and Anthony, MC, like, they kind of go in and out. If they weren't drinking out of the same bowl all the time, I'd maybe be able to keep them separate better. I didn't mention that it's usually the toilet bowl, too, but this thing of what we thought was going to be perfect, and then, then the reality meets that I can't keep it all together, it creates this tension in our life. That either, a lot of times we either end up saying, well, there's something wrong with them, or we say there's something wrong with me. But in reality, what we should be figuring out is there's something wrong with my expectation. And maybe you've lived through the moment, maybe you're living through the moment where right now you're struggling with a sense of disappointment because your expectations of the perfect marriage aren't being met or your expectations of how your kids were supposed to do aren't being met. And I want to tell you, 
I don't think there's something wrong with your kids, and I don't necessarily think that there's something wrong with you, but there might be something wrong with your expectations. If you have this, this natural draw, this natural struggle towards wanting to do things perfectly in this area of perfection. In the Journalism of Psychology, they printed an article that was titled Perfectionism and Depression, which is just an interesting thing. Perfectionism and depression. We don't always think that those things go hand in hand, but, but the authors of it, Hewitt and Flett, they identify these three different kind of sources or types of perfectionists. And it's almost like the underlying motivator of why they're perfectionists. And the first one is the self-oriented perfectionist, which refers to this thing, that there's something in our head. And we're going to get to scripture and we're going to get to, but I think this is an interesting thing because there's a psychological component to this and there's a spiritual component to this. But often there's a voice inside of our head that says, who you are isn't enough. And if you don't perform well enough, they're going to leave you. They're not going to love you. If they see who you really are, then you're going to be alone. And there's a voice inside of us that we need to learn to battle against that is a source that often drives a desire for things to just be perfect across our life. The, the other voice is not just the critical of us, but it's, it's we're reading other people's mind. The, the second one is, well, this is what they're thinking about you, and we're continually consumed by what other people are thinking about you, and so it drives you to try to have the perfect family, because if they think poorly of you, then life is going to end, and I want to encourage you today, if that's you, if you struggle with what other people are thinking about you, they're not thinking about you. <laughs> They're barely thinking about themselves. They're barely thinking at all. Don't worry about what other people think. The third type of perfectionist and the thing that drives them is actually not so much focused on them, but it's focused on other people. The third type of perfectionist is one that looks at other people and says, this is how they should be doing it. And they try to apply their perfectionism on other people. And so sort of the three voices that drive perfectionism is, also, is usually the I think I should be, the they think I should be, and they should, it would benefit them if they knew what I was thinking about them. And if you would identify yourself as a perfectionist, maybe you, you feel like you fall into one of those categories. But there's that psychological side to it, but there's also a spiritual side to it. Because the thing that is behind perfectionism, also, often we look at that and we say, well, that person must be vain because they're, they're really just, they, they have to have everything perfect all the time and they lose their cool, they, they, they lose their salvation when things don't go to plan. Like there's something wrong with, with them in that respect. They have this desire to be perfect. And we often think it's vanity, but it's usually actually not vanity that, that's spiritually pushing things there. It's actually usually fear. And if you have been struggling with keeping up an image, if you're honest within your own heart and mind, you'd probably say that connected to that is the fear that if I don't do this right, I'm going to end up alone. If I don't appear right to the people, if I don't appear right to God, then, then if I don't just stay and, and live this perfect life all the time, that he's going to give up on me. And a lot of what actually pushes perfectionism is fear. And so it's not just a psychological problem, it's a spiritual problem because it, it affects our identity of how we see ourselves and how we relate to God and how we relate to other people. And when we allow fear to drive our actions and our behaviors and our mindset, it begins to remove God from the situation a lot because we now have to solve all of these problems on our own. 
All of these things are going to be on our shoulders. And so perfectionism very much becomes about what I do and how I do it, whereas the opposite of perfectionism is grace, where it's about what God has done, what God is doing, about his glory, the attention on him. Perfectionism says it's all about me, and grace says it's all about Jesus. Perfectionism says if I obey God, then he'll love me, whereas grace says because God loves me, I can obey him. Perfectionism, and this is so important, when we struggle with perfectionism, there's this desire in us to win God's approval. When grace says, you have already been approved, you have already been loved by God. And this is so important, because when we mess up, we will run from God if we have a perfectionist mindset. When we make a mistake, when we fall short, when we lose our cool, rather than running into our Heavenly Father's arms, or rather than running to someone in the church saying, I need someone beside me right now because things are difficult at home, if we feel like we have to maintain an image, instead of running to the people and to our Heavenly Father that will help us, we run from them. And when we're isolated in the midst of a struggle, that's when things really get dangerous. And so whatever level you struggle with perfectionism in, I want you to begin to see that that God's desire is not for you to be perfect. As I lead and coach our staff, I tell them, we expect excellence, but never perfection. We expect, we drive for excellence in the things that we do, but it's never going to be perfect because that's not what God has called us to live, which might sound like a weird thing to hear from church is that we're not going to be perfect all the time, but I'm going to show you in Scripture some, some really encouraging, helpful passages for the person who is in the midst of a struggle. If you have your Bible, you can kind of mark the positions, Matthew 9, Romans 3, Luke 10, Matthew 9, Romans 3, Luke 10, those are the the three main places we're going to be going today. In Matthew chapter 9, it's this great interaction that Jesus has with Matthew, who would be one of his disciples. When Jesus found Matthew, he was a tax collector, which we don't like tax collectors today, but in that day they were disdained even more. They they were looked at as traitors because they were working for a foreign government that that had taken over their country. And so to be a tax collector was to be someone who was robbing your own people and giving it to someone who was seen as a curse from God. The, 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 these pagans who have conquered us, taking our money and giving them to them. So, so that's the, the person that Jesus is interacting with. And in verse 9 of chapter 9 of the Gospel of Matthew, it says, As Jesus was walking along, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at his tax collector's booth. Jesus said, Follow me and be my disciple. So Matthew got up and followed him. Later, Matthew invited Jesus and his disciples to his home as dinner guests, along with many tax collectors, more tax collectors, and other disreputable sinners. But when the Pharisees, these were the religious leaders of the day, saw this, they asked the disciples, why does your teacher eat with such scum? Now, I want to pause for a minute because we hear this, and I just want you to think for a minute about Jesus' invitation to Matthew to become a disciple. Because there's some context things of the situation that we sort of miss because we hear the invitation. We think, oh man, Matthew left everything to follow Jesus. What a great sacrifice. What great faith on Matthew. I mean, it was an act of faith to leave that 
and follow Jesus, but some of the cultural things that we miss, that getting invited to be a disciple of a respected rabbi is like getting invited to, to join the board at Microsoft. Like, this was an upward move in his society. And it had its risk. They went places and they didn't know what was going to happen. But within the realm of society, being, being someone who got to be a disciple of a respected rabbi, it was a respected position to step in. And so that cost wasn't that huge. It was, it was a, a, a noble invitation. And it was one that as a tax collector, he probably would have been a little bit confused himself. I can't believe they just asked me to do this. But I can't miss this opportunity. The invitation that he gave, it, it, it had some cost, but not that much in their society, which I just want to drive that thought for a second, because sometimes we think following God, it has all of these costs. Like if I choose to follow God, if I choose to live the way that scripture has called me to live, then it's going to cost me some of my time. It's going to cost me some of my money. It's going to cost me some of my reputation. It's going to cost me some of my pride. It's going to cost me these things. But you know what? Any of those costs that we have to pay to receive what God is giving us, it's embarrassing to call it a cost. I mean, the hope and the love and the joy that God's Spirit brings into our life when we choose to follow Him, it is, it is so much more, it is so much, it, the richness, the fullness of it is worth so much more than anything that we've left behind. And that's just talking about the blessings that we experience here on earth. And, and the, what's, what he has gone to prepare for us, as he says, I've gone to prepare a place for you. What is waiting for us in heaven is far beyond anything that we could sacrifice on earth. And, and for some reason, we don't feel that all the time. And so I just want to place that thought into your mind that any of the disciples who got to follow Jesus, any one of us who decide to follow Jesus, and there's some sort of earthly cost associated to it, that is worth nothing in comparison to the riches and the love that he gives to us in exchange. Amen? I mean, so has anyone else experienced that? That, that, that though I had to give up some of my pride, some of my time, some of whatever, but as I followed God, what he gave back to me in blessing was so much greater. The cost was worth it. It was a good trade on our part. And the invitation that Matthew got, he should respond to. He would want to respond to that in a hundred different ways. And in verse 10, it says, later Matthew invited Jesus and his disciples to his home as dinner guests, along with other tax collectors and other sinners. And the Pharisee side saw this, and the way that they said it, why does your teacher eat with such scum? I mean, in their society, these people were viewed as so bad that it was culturally accepted to just call them scum. I, I, the, this was the pastors. This was, this was the, the temple leaders that these people were so bad, it was fine for someone who was a religious leader to just openly criticize them. And Jesus' response in verse 12, when Jesus heard this, he said, healthy people don't need a doctor. Sick people do. Then he added, now go and learn the meaning of this scripture. I want you to show mercy, not offer sacrifices. For I have come to call not those who think they are righteous, but those who know they are sinners. On the topic of being a perfectionist, there's what we say and then there's what we feel. What we say about ourselves, especially if we've been around church for a while and we're perfectionists, we will say, 
I know that I'm a sinner. We will say, I know that I'm broken. But when we see someone who is in the midst of a struggle, when we see someone who is going through a divorce, when we see someone who has an addiction, when we see someone who has an addiction and a mental illness and has ended up homeless in our community, the way that we feel about them and their spiritual condition and our spiritual condition, that tells you the truth of what you really think about how good you are. That if you can look at them and you have a sense that, oh, I'm just a better person than they are, if you don't think you're on equal footing as far as brokenness goes between them and you, then I would encourage you to check your heart. And as I've followed Christ and as I've, I've sought through, through ups and downs, through, through successes and mistakes to follow Christ in my life, the closer that I've got to him and the mentors in my life, the closer they've got to them, it's, it's like the closer we get to Christ, the more convinced we are of how broken we are. And Jesus said his heart was to come here for the people who knew that they were sinners, not the people who thought that they were righteous. So what are you thinking about yourself? When you see someone who is in a rough situation and it's all their fault, do you think that they're just getting what they deserve? as we talked about last week, we're not getting what we deserve from God. We deserve judgment. We, we deserve separation from God. But he loved us so much that, that while we were sinners, he died for us. Romans 3 talks about the law and talks about this striving for perfection. We'll put this up on the screen. And it, Romans 3.20 says that for no one can ever be made right with God by doing what the law commands. The law simply shows us how sinful we are. This is the purpose, and this is the thrust of the law. Galatians later begins to say the purpose of the law was to drive us towards Christ as a tutor, as someone who, and and once that time is complete, that its time is complete. But the law, the whole point of it was to show you, you can't do this on your own. Your faith, your holiness, your hope of salvation, it all rests in what Christ has done. And so any thought that we have within us that that I have earned my way up to heaven, I have earned my way up to God, the law, following it, it's not going to get you there. Only faith in Christ. So being a perfectionist, what it will do if you're honest with yourself, if you're a perfectionist in in regards to the law and you think you're going to earn your way up, what will happen as you genuinely seek to follow every letter of the law and the instructions of Scripture, if you're honest with yourself, there will be a point where you give up because you will never be able to do it in perfection. If you allow perfection to be part of your faith, that you always have to get it right and you won't be honest with yourself when you've messed up, there will be a point where you will have to change what you believe. Either there will be something wrong with this law or there is something that I can't get over in my life and I need God's help. And if you've been butting your head up against that, of I just genuinely, I try to do the right thing. But there's this battle within me, and sometimes I win and sometimes I lose, and I've been keeping it a secret from everyone else. If you've been in that fight, I want to tell you, that's what this life is going to be like. And any hope of forgiveness, we surely have hope of forgiveness, but it's not because of what we've done. It's because of what Christ has done for us. 
No one will be saved by keeping the law, but only by faith in Christ. And so in the way that we live, in, in, in our striving for perfection, I want you to realize there's going to be ups and downs. Things aren't always going to go right. It's going to feel like those moments where somebody showed up unexpectedly at your house and you weren't ready for them. It's going to have that moment of like, I don't want this right now. Genuinely living for God, it's going to have those broken, difficult moments. I mean, this is a bright and cheery day at Gulfside, and I don't know that that, that should... That might feel sad, that might feel difficult, that it's going to have its ups and downs, but this should be freeing. This should be affirming that if you've been keeping part of your life tucked away and hidden away, that you don't have to hide that around God, and you don't have to hide that around the church. It's okay to be in the midst of a struggle. What's not okay is to keep it hidden. What's not okay is to try to pretend like everything is right all the time. Because if you are going to try to live like everything's right all the time, you are standing in contradiction to scripture if you think that you're going to earn your way before God Romans 3 20 straight out tells you you'll never get there by following the law that's not the way that it was designed to happen and and the people who live this way that that choose perfection over being honest they end up choosing perfection over people because what happens is when we apply this to ourselves our kids will learn to apply them to the uh, learn to apply it to themselves as well our spouse will feel like that's the standard that we have to be. And so the, the, this mask that we continue to wear, it won't just be over our life, but it'll spread to people in our family. It'll spread to people in our church. You've probably seen this and you've probably felt this at times where, where you've gone maybe to this church, maybe to a different one, and you felt like, man, those people just act like they, they have it all together all the time. This is not healthy in any way to live that way. And so what am I saying? What, what, what I'm saying is, it's okay to be real. It's okay. It's okay to say, things are difficult right now. It's okay to say, I'm, I'm trying to move through depression right now. It's okay to say, I'm struggling in my faith right now. It's okay for it to not be perfect. And one of the reasons why we want to live that way is because it's going to help other people, not just us. And so what I want to ask you to do is I want you to choose people over perfection. I want you to to see, and you can put that up on the screen, choose people over perfection. I want you to see that allowing that mask to come down, allowing yourself to, to not need to be perfect all the time, not need to be right all the time, not need to have it all together all the time, what you're actually doing when you put that, that desire to the side is you're actually choosing to love people in a better way because you're showing them that it's okay to be growing. You're showing them that it's okay to have a struggle. You're showing them that it's okay to be in a progression. And within churches, we especially have this natural compulsion to kind of like be the Martha and the Mary thing. Like in Luke 10, we see this contrast between these two sisters, and one had an idea of what their life was supposed to look like and live like, and one had a completely different one. In Luke 10, verse 38, we're going to put this up on the screen behind me. It says, as Jesus and his disciples continued on their way to Jerusalem, they came to a certain village where a woman named Martha welcomed him into her home. 
I mean, you think it's bad to have someone show up unexpectedly. You think it's bad to have a pastor maybe show up unexpectedly at your house. Like, you know, run around, clean things up, light the candles, turn on some Christian music, like make the atmosphere feel very holy for the pastor to enter. Imagine Jesus walking into the household. I mean, there, there's, there's some stress that would be felt there, right? This is a rabbi and his disciples. This is a very honored person. He's done miracles, and now he's stepping into my house. And, and so she welcomed him into her home, verse 39, Her sister Mary sat at the Lord's feet, listening to what he taught. But Martha was distracted by the big dinner she was preparing. She came to Jesus and said, Lord, doesn't it seem unfair to you that my sister just sits here while I do all the work? Tell her to come and help me. But the Lord said to her, my dear Martha, you are worried and upset over all these details. There's only one thing worth being concerned about. Mary has discovered it. And it will not be taken away from her. Now, we won't even get into the fact that it was only apparently the women who were doing the preparations. That's a whole other message about what men need to help with that we won't get to today. But Martha was distracted. She had an opportunity, but she was distracted and upset about many things, as Jesus said. And her desire, it was a good desire. Like, having dinner is a good thing to do. I like my food. Let's eat when we get together. It's a good thing. But it wasn't necessarily the right thing at that moment. And in that moment, apparently Jesus saw the the, the better thing to be focused on. Because there's other times where he said, hey, you see these people? You, You guys, go feed them doesn't matter if you don't have stuff. Go go find some fish. Go find some bread. Let's feed all of these people. Jesus wasn't anti-food, but in this moment, there was something happening in the house that was spiritual. There was a teaching that was occurring, and Martha's thing was, well, people are going to need to eat. Dinner might be late if we don't get started now. Things might not stay on the schedule I'd like them to be. Rather than seeing the need that was happening in the moment and just being in that moment. I mean, as parents, I know we, we've had these moments where we're busy with things and we feel a tug on the pant leg and we're like, not right now. And then we turn and we look and we see tears in the eyes and we're like, oh my gosh, everything has to stop. There's moments where what we think is important isn't the important thing. There's moments where details that we'd like to take care of, they need to stop. And we need to see what God is doing. We need to see what our family needs in that moment. Sometimes plans have to get canceled. Sometimes expectations need to be changed. Sometimes we as a family, it's like we we know what we want to do and we know what we we would like to do on this day, but, but that needs to stop because we need to just, we need to have a day alone as a family. Sometimes we we don't have the time or the money to go visit mom or dad, but we need to figure out how to make it happen. Sometimes our plans aren't going to work out as we expect them, and when we sense that God is pushing us in a direction, even though it's not according to the plan we felt, we need to walk in obedience to that. Because there's these moments that we we will miss. And Martha, she's doing a great work. She was making a meal for the Lord, She's being, being hosp, hospitable. I mean, hospitality is one of the spiritual gifts. But she was busy with the wrong thing. It was a good thing, but it was the wrong thing. 
Are you so busy with so many things that seem important that you're cutting out the most important thing in your life? We have to teach our children what the main thing is. What is it that the rest of the schedule has to operate around? And I've told you before, it's not always church on Sunday, but it is God in our life. There's going to be weeks where, you know what, we're going to Disney, we're going to family, we're going to wherever, we're going to miss church, but that doesn't mean that God's not still at the center, and it's one of the best lessons that you can teach your kid, that even when we're not at church, we're going to find a way to worship God wherever we're going. Is God at the center of things right now? Has your picture of perfection pushed him out of the way? We don't want to be like Martha, we want to be like Mary, where we can identify that moment. We don't want to choose the performance and the actions over and over. We want to choose the perfect love that God has to offer. Band, if you guys will make your way up, I'm going to begin to wrap this thing up. Uh, I want to say it this way. We want to choose perfect love over performance. Because God's love for us, it's, it's so intimate in the way that even when we could be busy making a dinner and making a meal and caring for people, his love is so close to the heart that that there's a desire with him for you to just sit with him at times. For you to hear from him. For you, you to be in his word on your own. For you to be praying to him and allowing him to speak to you. Even though you could be cleaning, you could be helping, you could be serving somewhere. There's something about our relationship with God where he says, there's times where it's better for you to just sit at my feet and be with me. But have we been too busy performing, trying to be a good person for him, that we've missed our relationship with him? It's easy enough to come into church because I'm supposed to be in church and never let your heart and mind be in church because it's already on the things that I've got to do later in this day. And if I don't get these done, then people are going to think poorly of me. If I don't get this project done, then, you know, my friend at the organization that, that I volunteer with, they're going to think poorly of me. And so I have to keep running. I have to keep the hamster wheel moving. And eventually I'll do enough things to where people will love me and accept me. And we learn that God's not in any of those things. So rather than choosing this performance, we want to, we want to go after perfect love. Because the way our Heavenly Father views us is differently than the way that the world views us because He's already in love with us. Uh, in 2017, uh, at my birthday, my, my son had just turned one a little bit before. He, his birthday's May 20th, mine's June 2nd. Send me a postcard, a birthday card. Um, and so he's a little over a year old and he hadn't been walking yet. And he, 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 he got me a present for my birthday he decided to take his first steps on my birthday. Don't awe, it was terrible. He looked like he had been drinking from a vodka bottle instead of a milk bottle. He could barely get two steps in. Like, like what is that? Like, I mean, have you seen, uh, like, track runners? My kids can do handsprings. Why do I need this little kid trying to take steps? That's not Facebook worthy. He didn't even get three steps in. You know that that's a ridiculous per perspective. You know that I looked at him and we videoed and we laughed and we, we, we cheered for him and we loved it, even though our three other kids could walk much better than him. The step that he was taking, we rejoiced in. Do you know that that is how your heavenly Father sees you? 
It doesn't matter how much they have it together. It doesn't matter how clean their house is. It doesn't matter what their car looks like. It doesn't matter how long they've been free from addiction and where you are. It doesn't matter what's going on in anyone else's life. Your heavenly father looks at you and says, I love you where you are. Take the step that you can take. Take the step that I'm asking you to take. The other things that are messed up, don't worry about those. Be in this moment with me. The things that need to get figured out later, don't worry about them. Be in this moment with me. You have a heavenly father that loves you and is calling you to step forward where you are. Not because of what you have done, but because what he has done for you. Your mistakes, your sins, your addictions, they were paid for on the cross. Jesus paid the penalty that we could never pay so that we could have a life that we could never earn. And God offers us this gift through faith. But it's a gift that we have to choose to receive. And I don't know where you are and you walk with God, but maybe you're at the spot where you say, I need to take that first step. I need to receive that gift because I've just been doing this life without him and I've learned that doesn't work anymore and I want to see what he has to offer and so I want to take that step. Scripture says when we confess with our mouth that, that Jesus is Lord and believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead, that we will be saved. It starts with a belief and a confession. And that's made through prayer. And I believe that that's made in a community of people who will walk alongside you. So let's pray together for a moment. Lord, we believe, we confess, we know that Jesus paid the price that we could never pay to give us a relationship with you that we could never earn. So God, forgive us for our, our shortcomings. Forgive us for our sins. Walk us out of our addictions and lead us into the life that you have called us to be. Give us the courage to take that step. Give us the courage to reach out to someone else and ask for help. Give us the courage to live authentic lives. And as we do that, we know you'll walk alongside us. Thank you for your love that never ends. In Jesus' name.